You're listening to How They Did It and Why, where we learn from the experiences of others. So let's get to it. Today, an interesting one came up. Um, I was just kind of checking out some info on some things regarding genealogy and ancestry DNA um, has actually been acquired by another company. So I want to kind of first research ancestry DNA and see um, kind of what their history was, who the owners were, and then, you know, see, you know, what the acquisition was all about and who it was sold to. So genealogy is something that has always fascinated me as well as, you know, DNA and researching, you know, your family tree by means of all the DNA advances that we have now that we could do and there's so many, you know, there's so many companies now that have, you know, DNA kits that you could do and find out some details about yourself that you probably would have never had a way of actually understanding. So I love the science behind it. I think it's super cool. And um, yeah, just a little bit more information on the company first. So um, really, you know, Ancestry and researching has really been a part of certain societies more than others. And that's definitely the case here with Ancestry DNA. So um, first, just kind of a brief overview. So in 1983, Ancestry Publishing was founded and it was publishing over, fam over 40 family history magazine titles and ge genealogy reference book. So that's kind of how they first started out was basically educating people on how to do their own family research uh, onto their, into their family trees, how to do their own genealogies. And then in 1990, uh, as ge genealogists begin to use personal computers to organize their trees, family history software grows as publications move towards floppy disks. Then in 1996, Ancestry Publishing launches Ancestry.com, paving the way for online family history. Then in 1997, Ancestry.com offers family history information on a CD-ROM to help people grow their family trees. So in 2000, Ancestry launches the first census images. That was something that was very cool. Like I wasn't really, you know, in this, you know, interested in this stuff at that time. I was too young for it, but you know, looking back, that had to be pretty cool when that came out because I know now from my research that I've done with genealogy that it was very limiting to people because they had to go through tons of red tape to actually find out a lot of the census information that wasn't information that was easily made available to the public. So it's kind of interesting to know that they were able to do that and put this database together. And I often wondered how they were able to do it because that is government information. So how was this private company actually able to get a hold of that information? I was not able to find an answer to that question, but if you're interested in this stuff, that's something you could research on your own. And maybe I'll do a little bit more digging into it because I would like to know, you know, how did this private company how were they able to get a hold of that information? Sure, it is public records. I do know that prior to Ancestry um, databases that you could actually go to, you know, 
certain branches of the government and local municipalities and you know register yourself and get the census information but that information was only dispersed to private citizens at that time individually not taking everybody's information and then giving it to one individually owned company so how did that happen? You know, I don't know. I, I really don't know, but I would really like to know. So if you happen to have any information um, on that or you, you know, do some more research, further research and find out anything, please drop me a line in the comments because I want to know an answer to this question. Like, how are they able to get a hold of all that information? So in 2001, Ancestry reaches the 1 billion record milestone, okay? And then in 2001, they actually branched out into Ancestry for the UK. So, of course, it started here in America, and then they branched out in 2001 to Europe. In 2002, Ancestry enters into the DNA testing arena, partnering with Relative Genetics, offering and microchondrial testing. Okay, so the microchondrial testing is really what um, these type of DNA tests are like driven by that's a whole nother thing you could like research and go on but I am like trying not to go off topic and as you can tell if you've been listening to me for any time I can quite easily do that so I'm going to shut my mouth on that topic and focus on the topic at hand. Australian and 2006 Australian Canadian and German sites are introduced um, again in 2006 new customer uh, centric collaboration innovations are added to the product, including the uh, iconic shaky leaf hints and ancestry member trees. So basically, at this point, they're just like fine tuning the software. That's all the way up through 2007. Uh, in 2009, ancestry reaches the 1 million subscribers mark and debuts on NASDAQ. So they become a publicly traded company in 2009. So prior to that, they were a private company. So again, private company was able to get all of that data, like that is still interesting. Okay, so then in 2010, the first season of the US series, who do you, what, who do you think you are launches? So that was a show that was actually um, sponsored and um, I don't know if it was fully produced by Ancestry, um, corporate or not, but I know that they had a lot to do with it. So then producing that show kind of um, sparked the interest for people who may have not considered uh, researching their family trees and doing their DNA tests. That was something that was kind of like a turning point to bring it to like the masses, basically. So that certainly was a good marketing tool to get them lots of um, subscribers and users, you know, for their database. So then 2011, the first Ancestry app for iPad and iPhone is unveiled. Um, that, that was pretty cool. And then 2013, Ancestry announces an exclusive agreement with the Family Circle to digitize 1 billion records from its mountain vault. Okay, so that was like, they were kind of building their own vault of information and then they, you know, went ahead and did this agreement with another company to get like better digis digitalization of the records that they already add, had. And then Ancestry2 DNA in 2013 updated a map to test marker for test markers of 
ethnic origins to 26 global regions. So they had a very simple map before, but it got expanded in 2013. And if you've been on the platform, you know that it has expanded several more times since then, which is kind of cool. So in 2015, Ancestry releases an exclusive collection with the U.S. wills and probate records. So again, more access to more records in 2015. Now, again, and I hate to keep digressing on how are they able to get the records, but if I want to go get records for someone, you know, if I want to go to the courthouse, let's say I want to get a marriage certificate for a family member, or I want to get a death certificate for a family member, I have to prove that that person is related to me, and I have to show ID, and I can only get that person's stuff. I can't really get anyone else's stuff. Now, I have seen some cases where if you are a, um, um, a genealogist, sometimes in certain cases, if you're like a, like a forensic genealogist, okay, they will then, you know, open, there's more things that you can do. So I understand that. But again, I just, how were they able to actually get all those records? I'm not complaining. It's just a question. That's all. You know, remember, I'm just a little lowly person on totem pole here. I don't want anyone coming after me, you know, saying, why did you ask that? And why, you know, and now I'm suing. I don't have any money. Just want to throw that out there. So 2016 Ancestry DNA expands and the product is available to over 30 countries. Also in 2015, they hit their um, milestone for a million people getting tested or using the uh, DNA kit. So let's go up to 2018. Ancestry DNA has over 10 million people in its consumer DNA network at that point, making it the largest in the entire world. So Ancestry is now the largest DNA network in the entire world. So in 2019, Ancestry DNA reached a new milestone with over 15 million people in the network. And then again, in 2019, Ancestry introduced uh, Ancestry Health to empower, empower people with actionable insights about their health. Now, that one, I really appreciate it because, you know, it will kind of give you more, some information similar to what, like, genetic testing that you would go through a doctor to get. This is now things that you, like, some milder things or lighter things, I should say, that you could get, you know, just paying for yourself. So I think that one was pretty cool. So there I just went through kind of like the whole timeline of Ancestry DNA as a company. Now I want to go back to the very beginning, like the initial founders, like who were they? So actually it was Paul Brent Allen and Dan Taggett. Okay, and they're two Brigham Young University graduates founded InfoBases and began offering the information there to Latter-day Saints, which is a religious um, organization. So it says that these publications were, of course, like we read earlier, available on floppy disk. But in 1988, Allen had worked at a folio corporation founded by his brother, Kurt, and his brother-in-law, Brad Pilo. So InfoBases first put First products were floppy disks and compact disks sold from the backseat of the founder's car. In 1994, InfoBasis was named among Inc. Magazine's 500 fastest growing companies. So 
point of that is, you know, basically Ancestry officially went online with the launch of Ancestry. Um, and it was in 1996. But prior to that, they were tied in with this brother and family friend that were um, selling the floppy disk and made that into a company. So that was kind of an interesting find, okay? So on January 1, 1997, Infobasis parent company, Western Standard Publishing, purchased Ancestry Inc., okay? Publisher of Ancestry Magazine and Genealogy Books. So then it was, okay, acquired by Infobasis, which was that company who um, started out with the floppy disks. So that was a convenient partnership. Okay, so that was kind of just a little bit on, you know, the backstory. So you may know, um, but for those of you who don't, um, the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, um, they are very much into preserving the genealogical records of themselves and the world basically they have like one of the most complex databases it's just something that they believe strongly in and these two brothers built this whole you know um or excuse me these two brothers these two friends built this empire around that idea so hey that's how they came to have the idea and they executed it so so now let's talk about what's happening now with Ancestry DNA. So what has happened most recently? And for those of you who are watching this on YouTube or Facebook, I'm gonna go ahead and share um, my screen right now because I want you to go ahead and take a look at this with me. So Blackstone's $4.7 billion acquisition of Ancestry raises privacy issues. So back in August of this year, Ancestry was acquired again by this company, Blackstone, okay? I'm gonna read you a little bit from this article and then I'm actually going to share some information on Blackstone itself for you guys, okay? So a deal involving one of the largest direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies has raised questions about what will it mean for users' data? Okay, what does that mean for our data? Everybody who has used it. Private equity firm Blackstone will acquire Ancestry.com for $4.7 billion. Blackstone will take a 75% stake in the company with one of Ancestry's previous investors, GIC holding the remaining, and they're going to hold the remaining 25%. Okay, uh, okay. So Ancestry started off in 1996. We talked about that, you know, with tracing the family trees and all of that. Um, so again, you know, I'm going to read just another little chunk here about the privacy policy. So according to its privacy policy, Ancestry can use personal information to market new products from the company or its business partners, but says it will not share users' genetic information with insurers, employers, or third-party marketers without their express consent. Okay, we'll see about that. You didn't hear from me, okay. 
the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. So it, it kind of goes into, you know, how they cannot use this information to be discriminatory, which of course would be kind of my first hunch on this and everything. Um, okay, so now we know who acquired it in 2020, right here in August. Let's now find out a little bit more about who the company is, okay? So, and this is just from Blackstone's website itself. So, who Blackstone is, it says, we invest across alternative asset classes on behalf of pension funds and other leading institutions, okay? Providing financial security, we serve institutional investors around the world, including retirement systems that represent tens of millions of teachers, firefighters, and other pensioners. Our investments are designed to preserve and grow our clients' capital across market cycles. They also invest globally and they strive to make a positive impact worldwide. So Blackstone is an investment firm and they hold 75% stake in Ancestry DNA. Okay, so my question is, why does Blackstone, an investment company, want Ancestry DNA? Like, there's something that I'm missing. There could be something that you're missing too. It just doesn't make sense to me. If I was hearing that, okay, Ancestry had been acquired by like AstraZeneca or like another like health company, you know, some sort of a health institution, you know, I would kind of say, hey, that makes sense. That's still a little like, hey, they could use that information to be like very discriminatory, but it would at least make sense. From what I saw from Blackstone's website, they don't have any investments in any type of anything similar, anything even in the healthcare, I would just assume that that would be the most relative industry. Although Ancestry DNA, you know, you wouldn't put it in the healthcare industry, but that would be where those assets could be most greatly used. So it would just make sense to me that, again, someone, some firm in that arena would acquire this. Why does an investment company like want this information? I was kind of throwing that one around in my head and I, I have some ideas as to why they would want to do it, but I don't think any of them are actually good enough to voice here um, because I have not been able to find really any like solid evidence to support anything that I am like rolling around in my head and I don't want to ever come on and just like throw out too much random stuff on a topic like this, okay? So might be something that you may wanna do more research on if this stuff interests you. And um, maybe you have participated with Ancestry DNA and you wanna just know what that information is gonna be used for now that this acquisition has happened. Um, it might be worth investigating. And that's just my whole point. You know, with this 
podcast, my whole idea is just to get us thinking and get us thinking outside of the box and learn from things that are happening around us and from people who have done cool things or not cool things. So, you know, we'll just see how you feel about it. Okay. So what I would love is if you all would, you know, give me your thoughts on this, drop me a line, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you like. I'd love to hear from you. I hope you found this information in today's episode to be helpful. I hope that it's giving you some things to think about and consider. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.